hello, welcome to episode 140 of Together BHA. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm joined by uh, my two co-hosts uh, today, as usual. Uh, rising from the grave himself, we've got Adam and, and Craig as well in Chicago. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Feeling yeah. good over the not-COVID flu that I had. <laughs> good. Uh, and let's get straight into it. Uh, guest for today, uh, Aiden J. Wood. Uh, how are you? Hi guys, good to be here. Uh, very well, thank you. And yourself? Absolutely great. Good to have you. Um, you've yeah. done a little bit of everything: sports reporter for Metro Sport, uh, Brighton and Albion correspondent and scheduler for latest Brighton, uh, ex Sky Sports News, and uh, CGTNE Europe China State affiliated media. Yeah, it's a China State uh, news company. Um, so yeah, so started off at Sky pretty much uh, straight after. I left, uh, left college, um, managed to get a break there through work experience and uh, moved on to freelance stuff and now working primarily at the Metro, which doesn't really involve Brighton, which is kind of a good thing and a bad thing. But I um, I still do a little bit for the local TV channel. And yeah, I like I like getting involved. I'm a Brighton fan, so I like getting involved in transfer lines, whether or, whether or not it's going to a company or not. So That's cool, though. Are you a Brighton fan? I am a Brighton fan ever Even since better. I was a kid with, with Dean Days. I was there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I personally, I know last year I was at uh, a lot a lot of the games uh, as a as a journalist home and away, but I primarily like going as a season to Calder, to especially home games, uh, just, just because I like the atmosphere better. I can still report the games from there and, yeah, prefer it in the, in the stands. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Uh, deadline day has just passed. Obviously, uh, ho- people were hoping it was going to be a very busy day on the Albion front um, with the obvious we want a striker rhetoric going all across social media and just about every place you could hope to hear it. Um, you started off at Sky, and just before we went live, you said that you were you were kind of working on the deadline day stuff there. I guess, like, let's just get straight into that. What What is that like? Uh, and And... Jim White with his yellow tie. Uh, are people do people roll their eyes as much behind the camera as we do in front of it? Um, first of all, it's, it's crazy. It's mental. Obviously, there's usually on a non-COVID situation. I know Sky have turned into this kind of trying to be as green as possible by not going to the uh, training grounds and stadiums. Obviously, you usually have twenty different reporters out elsewhere in Premier League st- uh, ground stadiums, uh, training grounds, wherever they can be, kind of thing. Um, and then obviously you have Sky in Italy, Sky in Germany. It's 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 a huge logistical nightmare. And obviously nothing ever goes to plan because someone leaves their post and then all of a sudden say like West Ham assigning someone. Um, I know when Brighton, I was working on the deadline day when Brighton tried to get Vincent Janssen. Do you remember from Tottenham on loan? Unfortunately, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, his career has turned out to be great. <laughs> yeah. but, um, he rejected us at that, at that point, which was... Uh, which was great, but yeah, um, just just crazy. It's just um, it's an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of. But also, you just kind of at the end of it, you just want to collapse. Um, Jim White, yeah, he's a, he's a good bloke. Jim White, he, um, he, yeah, he he kind of divides opinion um, at anywhere he goes. You know, you know, you know what he's what yeah. you what you see on the screen is what what you get with him off off camera. Um, he's just just a genuine bloke, but kind of yeah, divides opinion. Till, till he, till, I'm guessing until he'll be 70, 80, he'll be doing the same thing on TalkSport or wherever else he goes. <laughs> Were you pre or post Peter Odom Wingy's transfer deadline day turning up at 
Loftus. So I was post that, but um, the reporter that was on it, Aidan McGee, is a very good friend of mine. So I still speak to him. I spoke to him today, actually. Um, <laughs> he's, he's just left Sky, but he's uh, yeah, he's a big QPR fan. So I think he was uh, he was hoping that Aidan Wingy was going to add a little bit. But um, yeah, obviously that was that was one of those, wasn't it? There's, there's still one of, of the best ones at deadline day, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, Harry Redknapp rolling down his window every year. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of a lot of funny things that have happened. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be the same. I don't think it's the same as it was even when I was there now. Um, it's kind of died off a little bit, but, yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's the Man City effect too, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think... Stop spending at, so much money late. It's not really... Yeah, teams have got better. Um, the way they recruit now is completely different to how they used to. Obviously, you've still got the teams like West Ham who are slightly better now, but they still kind of do just go in on deadline day and just say, we want him, him and him and just try and get whoever they can. Um, Palace sometimes are like that as well. Um, but I think this year, especially with COVID, et cetera, logistically wise, I don't think you can just just say we want him today and fly him over and get medical done because all the restrictions are in place. So it's just kind of, it's a very different window um, this year. Um, but yeah, you still saw, saw, saw some impressive deals done all across the world, but mostly there wasn't really any complete shocks on deadline day. Especially in the Premier League, you got Griezmann to uh, to Barcelona, but that wasn't really. Well, oh, and that nearly everyone thought it didn't get didn't happen, right? And then it came out fifteen minutes later or whatever. Then they did actually get the paperwork in. So that was a that was a really back and forth one. Yeah, La Liga always uh, very t- very strict on paperwork, whereas the Premier League give you like if you have if you have the deal almost done, you can then uh, get a deal sheet to to extend the period but yeah La Liga are, are strict you saw with David De Gea a few years the ago the infamous like, fax machine where, yeah yeah, um, yeah. Well, that, well that one as well that was a that was fun um, but yeah it's it's an incredible um, transfer window this year but I think it's there's been better ones if I'm honest can well, I ask you oh go on Craig oh sorry mate go on I'll, I'll hold no I was just going to very quickly say um, speaking of clubs that may be don't do a great job with transfers at the moment or seem a little clueless. You follow Arsenal uh, for, for your work a lot, don't you? I do, yes. Um, how, uh, how are things going there? What's, what's, your, what's your general take? We obviously have a slightly vested interest in we like to follow Ben White's current escapades, mm. but um, what's yeah, what's well, they've, also, they've also had a long-standing interest in Basuma, um, which is uh, obviously one that, as a Brighton fan myself, I don't I want to stay clear of, but unfortunately, it continues to keep cropping up, especially with only two years left in this contract. Um, but Arsenal's transfer window this year, especially, has been completely different to anyone they've ever done before. They've tried to change how they've how they've recruited players. They're just trying to buy twenty to twenty three year old players with with high uh, potential um, for, for for relatively big money. Um, Obviously, you see Ben White, Odegaard, people know what he's about. Aaron Ramsdale, for me, is a bit of a weird one. 30 million for a goalkeeper is... is that was Maybe a backup keeper as well, right? Well, there's there's rumours going around at the moment that he could uh, start against Norwich on the weekend. So that'll be an interesting one to see what happens with Leno because his contract's up at the end of the season, Leno. Mm. It might just be that they signed him now to kind of integrate him into the side or into the squad and then... Um, he'll be starting next year but um, yeah obviously Arsenal have had a very tough start to the season I think it's been a little bit skewed with all the illnesses and injuries they've had um, obviously Ben White's been out Aubameyang, Lacazette all the all the uh, kind of pretty much their core the core of their team has been ripped from them um, so they've been playing with a lot of 
Pablo Murray and Cedric and Chambers and stuff like that. But it, yeah, they're very difficult. It's a very difficult window to judge considering they spent over 150 million on on players that I look and see that and think that they haven't really strengthened their current team, if that makes sense. Like they potentially five years down the line, they could all be world beaters, but right now then they're, they're not then then no better than what they already had. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my, my question was more around just the journalism stuff and how I guess social media sort of warps everything. So in terms of the last couple of years, what you'll see is that there are no surprises anymore. And if they do, they, they come out a couple of days early. So you've been doing this for a bit and bits and pieces. Have you seen any difference between now and say five years ago where there would be a shock on deadline day and all of a sudden Odin Wingy's at Loftus Road and nobody knew about it. It's just one of those moments that happens. Whilst nowadays everyone seems to know two, three days in advance and it's more of a confirmation than it is an actual shock signing. So is, has anything significantly changed or is it just purely social media, just having a one-up? Yeah, you're you're right. There's very rarely. I think the only one that I remember really was, well, Adam Lalala last year was a bit of a shock. Joel Veltman was definitely a shock. No one expected that to happen um, until it literally did. But yeah, you're right. There's very very few um, deals that don't really get the get the airtime anymore. And I think you're you're right in terms of people on Twitter. There's so many fan accounts. There's so many people trying to be journalists that like not being rude. They're not journalists, but they're like invested in their team and and kind of know people within the club or whatever and then they have nothing riding on if they just if they just pump out say like their mates told them their mate who's the physio at the club or like the the ticket man at the club tells them that they're signing a player they can just chuck that out on on social media without any kind of remorse so and then that's where that's how uh things start and then um yeah it's, it's quite it's quite a simple thing to for someone else to pick up on it to check it um for say like if you look at if you look at the london clubs etc like you look at like david ornstein the athletic he's his contact books ridiculous so as soon as he sees something like that or someone someone else picks up a rumor they can then check that and then it's they can confirm it and it's not it's not a secret anymore so yeah it comes from so social media it's just massive now you used to see people relying on on the big journalists whereas now um people just kind of pick up from van accounts and then and then check it themselves and it's just a completely different fish now. I think transfers has gone gone from one one level to a completely different level now. I think it's just it's the biggest thing in probably in football. I think I think more people care about who they're signing than potentially how they're doing on the pitch. I think it's, it resonates with Brighton quite a lot, really, in, in terms of that. But it's it's more just catching your opinion that, you know, obviously the, the spread of misinformation on all of these social media accounts, does it feel like you're more of a, a fact checker at this point in time, especially when it comes to deadline day? Because you're talking about David Ornstein there in terms of, okay, you're just checking all of the false information to see if one of them's true. You know, how, how do you keep something under wraps so it doesn't get to the dirt sheets and it doesn't get to, to social media? Yeah, you're right. It's it's not it's not um it's not easy. I'm um you kind of you kind of learn to uh which kind of people to 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 kind of check um and not. Um I I tend to check with people that aren't involved directly with the club, um, because the club likes to keep everything under wraps and fair enough, and that's that's their own opinion. And then when I feel like I've got something that's that's reasonable or, or strong, then I will um then I will then run that through the club. Um, sometimes they sometimes they uh, don't don't say either way, but that's that's their again that's their decision. 
Um, and we know what Brighton are like with with uh, with transfers and with anything really. Look at any kind of like we've, we haven't heard a single player has caught COVID or anything like that. Um, whereas other people are reporting their their things on like you look at Arsenal, they've just done a done a list of players that have caught COVID and when they're back and when they're etc. But yeah, it's uh, it's not easy to uh, to keep things under wrap anymore because just as soon as one person gets it, especially if it falls into the wrong hands, it just goes into into complete craziness. And there's there's always going to be Twitter rumours of people just completely making things up. Um, yeah, look at Brighton stuff. There's there's so many players in 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 each window that that uh, just people just make up. It's not just people making up; agents make things up as well. So. You look at this uh, that gang striker Paul Onuwachu or something like that. I think his name was. Don't Josh get don't get Josh started on that. <laughs> <laughs> is he is he a big fan? He's obsessed Massive with fan. I'm pretty sure. I'm honestly pretty sure I started that entire train. Aiden, I'm really. He gets five percent. No, no, you go for it. I uh, last <laughs> last November we I was I was doing a pod and we were doing like premier like strikers that could come in because we were it was when we were really starting to fire blanks and i was just like dicking around in like the other leagues and i was like looking at different players and i was like holy shit he's scored like 23 in 20 games and then i was looking at him and i was like and then i watched like the next month or so i watched every gank game because i was just like bored and that's the kind of loser i am and i was like my god like he's an absolute beast and i was like he should play for us i was like that's it i'm gonna peddle this propaganda until the end of the summer transfer window and that's what i did um and yeah, that may well have been slightly my fault. No, to be fair, his agents his agents were in were in England trying to trying to sort a deal for him. But um, I think people were just kind of well, I think it came partly from his agents and also other kind of intermediaries were just kind of saying, just kind of picking out. This is what happens when they trying to when players are trying to find moves is they just kind of throw names in the hat, hoping that more names will will be interested because they think, oh, say West Ham and Brighton are interested with in him. Maybe that's something someone we should look at. Um, obviously, it didn't work out well to him because he's because he's still in Belgium. But um, it does does sometimes happen. You look at Arsenal, um, the signing on on deadline day, the Japanese international. He was offered to basically every club in in Europe. It sounds like uh, definitely in the Premier League. Um, yeah, and Arsenal kind of needed a right back, even though the guy doesn't really play right back, and uh, they got him. It's it weird because like it felt like such a West Ham signing too, the Onoachu fella. It does feel like the kind of player that West Ham would go out on deadline day and go and sign. Like six foot seven big lad scores for fun in a like a random lower league. Like I was like, that's just a West Ham signing all over. Uh so yeah. I was re- I was really worried he was gonna go there, but uh, he didn't. Um in terms of like you and growing up in this last couple of years is like social media has gotten wilder and wilder. And personally, I blame politics for spreading it across the rest of the sphere, to be honest. Um, But how do you, how do you cope with deadline day and the transfer window in general? Because I imagine during the season, when the seat, when the transfer windows aren't open, your job, albeit not an easy one is probably a great deal quieter than uh, than the summer and the winter transfer window and i mean you only need to go online now and like look at people like look at any journal on there like like poor richie like poor richie mills he even said like two weeks ago he's like you know i've been doing this for like eight months i don't know anything yet i don't have a single source out there but i get like 45 messages a day like when are we yeah. signing a striker what's the news on the striker do you have anything on the striker like 
how do you how do you deal with that sort of just like demand and like that deluge of like messages? So at, at the beginning of the window, I um, I kind of was reading every single mess, every single comment, every single uh, thing, and just kind of in the end, I had to turn notifications off because every every um, every tweet I got was is Ben White done yet? By just a barrage of Arsenal fans. Is Ben White done yet? And then since Ben White, it's been uh, any chance of Basuma moving to Arsenal this summer. Um, and like I, I will like they know. Well, I hope they know that if if I heard anything or saw anything, then I'd update them. But um, yeah, it's kind of just a barrage of of uh, of the same message over and over again. Um, and again, oh, when's the striker coming? Uh, that kind of thing. Um, it's 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 not easy, but um, you kind of just kind of have to live with it. Unfortunately, it's part it's part and parcel of social media now. I'm afraid. We should we should probably ask you then about the striker, uh, just to right. add on to those few hundred messages that you got. Uh, how close were we with any one of these strikers? Because Nunez was the one that kept coming up. It sounds like that died three days plus from from the the window closing. Mm. So so how close were we to any of these guys? Yeah, so in all honesty, I don't think very close. Um, yeah, obviously their their recruitment is so so clear to me that they want these they want specific players, and if they're not going to improve the current squad or what they want in a player, then they're just not going to improve the squad. You look at how Graham Potter said all throughout the window about if there's he'll continue looking, see if anyone can improve the squad, um, then they'll they'll look, but. Um, they've been wanting Darwin Nunez for, for two years now since he was at Almeria he left to Benfica for Champions League football had an okay season um, they wanted him again this summer Brighton um, Nunez again it wasn't wasn't keen too keen on the move but Brighton for some reason continued to uh, to try um, and in the end they didn't get anywhere near close to, to Benfica's valuation of him um, Benfica were clear throughout that that was the price, 40 million euros or, or there or thereabouts was, was the price that they'd have to pay. And that's that's quite a lot of money for a kind of pretty much unproven striker. Um, scored a few goals in Almeria and 10 in, 10 in the Portuguese league. So it's kind of, um, he's, he's got a good potential, but um, what we've what we've seen is is not what 40 million pounds is worth, uh, in my opinion. Um, I've, I, for one, am a bit surprised with, well, I know everyone is, but um, as a Brighton fan myself, just leaving leaving kind of three fit strikers, well, three currently fit strikers for the whole season. Um, we know Danny Welbeck will potentially touch with not get injured, but we know his uh, his uh, kind of his history is is not good on that that side of things. Um, we know he can score goals when fit, but um, how long he stays fit is a, is another matter. Um, I'm so gobsmacked that Aaron Connolly is still at that club. Uh, I mean, not at that club, but I mean in terms of not going out alone. He, he, for me, well, even time, his national team manager said he should go on loan. Every time I see him, he he just need he he just needs confidence. Like he's not going to get confidence missing from three yards in the Premier League. Um, he he just needs to. Like, that's the worst thing to ever happen to him. Was score two goals in his Premier League debut at, yeah. at against Tottenham. If he um, went out to I don't know Barnsley or someone like QPR, I don't know like anyone really in the Championship scored 20 goals and come back, you see a completely different player, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I think he's just stuck in this kind of rut. I think his attitude, you can see, is not the greatest in terms of a uh, few, few misdemeanors off the pitch as well. Um, 
but yeah, he just he, he cries out to me that needs some confidence. And I'd personally have sent out Conley on loan and kept Zakiri. Um because yeah. neither of them are really gonna do like even if you put Zakiri on, he's not gonna do too much different to what Connolly's doing at the moment. Um Connolly's got what, four Premier League goals in two seasons. Um yeah, so there's not gonna be any any too much difference there. And I think Connolly would benefit much more from a season away than what Zakiri does because by all accounts they love Zakiri's attitude um off the pitch and, and how he works hard and they think he's gonna be a great player. Um but yeah going back to the striker we weren't we weren't pretty much close and Simmer I, I heard Simmer the Simmer news the night before deadline day um speaking to people in, in Czech Republic um and the club they were they were buying from um, it was all tied up the day before, really, apart from personal terms. Um, but I, I heard that he was going to stay. Obviously, Brighton uh, changed, kind of had their own thought about it and decided to send him out on loan to Stoke, which can understand it. It's one year old, but you can't, for me, you can't be loaning out all these players if you don't have enough reserves in your own in your own tank. You look at how Chelsea do it. We're doing similar to what we're doing. Similar to what we're doing now is what they're doing. And uh, unfortunately, Chelsea have over a billion pounds worth of players in their actual squad and Brighton are a little bit uh, lower, lower, you, lower level than that. You could argue our, our forward depth is a little worse than Chelsea's. Yeah, I could agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not just talking our forward depth. I'm talking in everywhere. terms of how, how everywhere. Yeah, you look at how we do it and look at how Chelsea do it. I'm just comparing how our, we've sent out, was it 19 players out on loan this summer? Um I'd look at Chelsea and probably say they've done about 30, which is a little bit more, but it's the same kind of re- recruitment and their strate- uh, strategies. Um, and we can't do that. We have to be signing players for them here and now. Otherwise, there is going to be a time where we turn around and and uh, and struggle, really struggle. And then we look at that and we've got all these players that don't want to play in the championship. Um, and yeah, we're stuck. Is the idea, and obviously I'm not sure you'd even know the answer, but the way I'd look at it is I do wonder if the Albion look at it and think, worst case scenario, we go down. We have a group of players that excel in the championship and we can end up selling our best assets if we need to and come back up with the ones that we've invested in. So like, for example, like, okay, Mopai doesn't want to stay in a championship because he's just been like, uh, been been relegated with Brian. He wants out. Trossard wants out. Bissouma obviously wants out. Uh, you know, all these players will want to bounce and we'll sell them all and we'll make a bunch of money off of them, which will help. But you're then looking at, you know, a front line of Zakiri and Seema and Connolly. Like all of those players are probably going to do really well in the championship. Then you're looking at that midfield and you've got, you know, this whole group of really young, talented midfielders that aren't going to get a move anywhere else because they haven't proven themselves just yet. Like your Caicedo's, your, well, maybe Modo, but I don't think we'd let him go anyway. But like, you know, those kind of players that are just going to like rule the roost in the championship is the hope that worst case scenario, we go down, we can we can afford to lose our best players because we're going to plug and play with players that are better than the championship already or as good as the championship and come straight back up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but that would be a huge risk. Um, I think so too. But... You look at it and think, like none of these players you're you're talking about have had any championship um, football before, and it's probably the hardest league in the world to get out of. Um, so, in terms of having that as a strategy, I'd I'd definitely say that's not the right right way to go. Um, they're all talking about this top ten side, and, and I've said this over and over again. 
um, that until they sign 20, 25 goals, goals a season, man, they're not getting anywhere near that top 10, regardless of whether they sign the best back five or back four in, in the world. They, they're not getting anywhere and they need goals. And without the goals that they're going to, they're going to struggle to really improve on any positions they've done in the last three or four years. Um, so, yeah, I think the strategy is to, to kind of, well, the external strategy is definitely to, uh, to, to get better and to continue to, to improve the players they've got there. Um, I think they are looking for that. Well, I know they are looking for that striker, but they're only willing to part, part way with their money if it's a, if it's the right one until then I think we're just going to be unfortunately it's, it's not what I want to say as a, as a Brighton fan as a, and as a journalist that we're just going to be continuously going around in a little bit of a merry-go-round until that happens I think that's that's where that comes in isn't it is that you know it's it's interpreted as a negative approach when we're talking about the top 10 and that's sort of being fed by the club in terms of that's where we want to be. If we continue to invest in the off chance or the likelihood of us going down and then subsequently having to to come back up in that route, you're not you're not talking about a top 10 strategy there. You're you're talking about a contingency plan which seems to be the priority. And and because we can't get priority one, priority two is to stabilize and to find investment for the future. And um, so I guess it's nothing it's nothing that Brighton in terms of the club can control but in terms of you're missing the first priority of the striker they're still doing the right thing and in investing in the future but it suddenly looks like the first priority so from from a, a fan looking inwards um mm -hmm. it looks like they're investing in the wrong places when in actual fact we just can't find that elusive striker or we're just not willing to part with the money that we need to um so I guess there's that aspect as well as especially from um I guess from a, a marketing perspective or from an insight perspective that I think people are getting confused in terms of what the priority is. The priority has always been the striker, but just because we're doing the second priority, it doesn't mean that we still don't want to get to the top 10. So it okay. looks, looks counterintuitive, but I think we're just um, doing the next best thing because we can't find the striker. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, they've always been looking. Um, they've been looking for the last two, three seasons. Um you think you can tell? You can tell by the by the Welbeck um, signing after deadline day last year um, that they were continuously looking for a striker even after that window. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have signed him if they didn't think they had enough in that in that area. They wouldn't they wouldn't have even looked to him. Um, but yeah, it's it's it must be frustrating for even even the guys posting the signings on uh, on Brighton social saying yeah we signed this bloke but you won't see him for another year um, must be must be frustrating even for them. Um, but yeah, you're right. Every team has to sign sign players for the future. They can't just sign everyone for the here and now. It must. It's frustrating for for every every fan and, and including myself to to not see these these top players coming in. Especially after we uh, we sold Ben White for such such a sum of money this summer. We thought everyone thought that it was going to be the time to uh, to really um, kind of buy that buy that man that we we all needed. Um, it wasn't to be, but um, they've still got that money. They haven't gone hasn't gone so. Hopefully, January or the following summer will be the time that we finally get that elusive striker. <laughs> that uh, you mentioned the Brighton admin. One of my, I think, my favourite moment from the transfer window was at pretty much at eleven pm. They send out a tweet, and it was Moises Casado going off to be a shot in, yeah. in Belgium. Everyone was hoping for a sort of like Rubinho esque announcement <laughs> of Man City, and we <laughs> just now someone else has gone out alone. Um, mm. Uh, you raised a good point there about January. I think everyone's sort of predicting the end of the world after not signing a striker. The January transfer window is less than four months away. Absolutely. Um, I think it goes back to another point that you just made, which was, you know, about we want this particular type of striker. Well, 
Yeah, and, and that's everyone in the Premier League, bar like two teams at the moment, everyone wants a 20-goal-a-year Premier League striker. And we have that cap on how much we want to spend and then secondarily how much we want to spend on the wages, right? Because we're not going to go no, and give them sort of those, yeah. big, those big wage packets. So it's a real challenge when you start to think, well, we want what everyone else wants, but we're also going to spend way less on it. And that's obviously where you see us like farming these more Eastern European clubs and things like that. But how much do you think that plays into it in terms of the challenges that we face in terms of getting what everyone else wants? Absolutely. And Brian and notoriously uh, not willing to to get themselves into a uh, into a bidding war with other clubs. They, they hate that kind of thing. And if someone else kind of comes in for, for that player, they, they'd rather a player that wants to be at the club yeah. um, and, and choose Brighton over over the other ones. So they that, that is one of the reasons why they, they do go to these kind of lesser known leagues where they can kind of pick up a bargain without anyone else um, bidding in for them. Um, whether it works or not, it started to work a little bit better than it, it did in the, the years of your hand bashes and etc. But um, yeah. I thought Izquierdo was a great player. but So sad about him. So many injuries. Um, Lacadia, uh, the list goes on. There's our 20 goal a season, guys, here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think he's leaving, but um, the Turkish league is still is still an option for him. So, um, yeah. um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. It's it's a, it's not easy to find that to find that player that one no one else wants that's good enough to that is within our wage and our structures in terms of financially, um, and three fits fits what we want as a striker. Um, mm. and it's it's almost like if you go on Football Manager and try and type in all them, you're not getting anyone. Um, it just comes up with Darwin Nunez. <laughs> <laughs> and it says 60 million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but it's, it's not ideal, but it's unfortunately how they want to act. And if they want to, um, if they want to sign that striker, then they'll, they'll, they'll make sure that they get the right one. I want to I want to ask one more about a particular striker. Um, Edward went on and on and on and on about this entire thing. And again, when we're talking from a journalism perspective, there was not a peep down south. And then in Scotland, they were going absolutely nuts. So I guess you were you were aware that there was absolutely no news coming from the club. But there's that distortion from different sources that feeds the social media train again. Um, I mean, obviously, Palace ended up with him. Hopefully, he doesn't do that well naturally. But it, it, in terms of, you know, what was the story from your perspective there? Were you being fed different information from different sources? No, not at all. It was, uh, it was completely that they they weren't interested in him. Um, obviously, for what I, from my experience within within a transfer window within journalism, that screams to me agents. Uh, it screams to me that an agent is trying to get their player out of a certain club, and uh, and they're using names to uh, kind of build up interest and it worked in the end because obviously Palace got him. He was Palace's second choice. They wanted Eddie Nketiah um, but Brighton again wanted Eddie Nketiah at the start of the summer. Um, uh, yeah, but they, they tried to use him as part of the Ben White deal um, but didn't didn't, didn't happen um, and Nketiah then uh, well, Palace then went in £15 million bid for Nketiah um, and then didn't didn't get that one over the line so went to Edward next but for, yeah, for me, Edward was never one that, that Brighton uh, were looking at. Yeah, I, I think everyone sort of knew that deep down, but I think everyone was just so was like itching for a striker that they would just take anyone. It's the um, hope that kills so, you, isn't it? It's the hope yeah. that kills you. You see a name, you just want to like, 
You just constantly type in Edward Transfer or Edward Brighton yeah. on Twitter yeah. and see what's happening. <laughs> I think I think we can give you a break now, Aiden, with the transfer talk. I think as an <laughs> Albion fan, let's bring you back to the Albion. Um, six points from nine, opening three games of the season. Mm. I think you're mental if you're not happy with it because uh, I think everybody expected at best six points. Like That was a great result for us. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we are a bit weak depth-wise across the squad in some spots with the amount of loans we've sent out. But do you think that we're, you know, do you think it's going to be a case of there are three worse teams than us this year? Or do you think we're going to be comfortable? Or do you think we could be in trouble? I think, if I'm honest, I think there's three worse teams. Definitely three worse teams than us in there. Um, and where we finished completely depends on, first of all, how fit Danny Welbeck stays. Second of all, how many goals Neil Mope scores? Because if he scores eight again, like last season, we're not getting very far. If he scores 15 to 20, then we we could be 13th, 12th, 13th instead of 16th, 17th. Um, but yeah, I think I think the signing of Cucurella is massive, if I'm honest. I think he's a, he's a fantastic player. Um, he can play on the wing. He can play at wing back. He can play as a full back if we play a four. Um, he's, he's a great player and he's just, he's like almost the left-sided version of Terry Lamptey. Um, but obviously without Lamptey at the moment, which is, which is a big, a big, uh, big issue, especially with uh, Gross getting absolutely shown up by Damari Gray last week or the following week. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, I think we'll be okay. Um, and six points out of nine is great. Um, but you're always looking, you're always looking at the next one. You've got Brentford away and it's a, that you need to look at that about at least getting a point into that game. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of games where we we're going to be in disarray, or not not in disarray when the fan base are going to be in disarray when they they lose two 0 away at City or something like that. Or but um, we've got to realise that there's there's some bigger there's some bigger teams in in the league than us, um, and we just have to kind of kind of keep our keep our um, aims realistic for this season, considering the squad we have. I think there was a, I think not so much a rumor. It came from Potter's mouth himself, but I don't know if you you're able to know whether it was true or not. Given we're a week into the international break, he said he was intending to have Lamptey back in full first team training with the international break coming up. Do you know if that's happened or not? Yeah, I don't know if it's happened. Um, I know he's been he's been kind of in and around the first team uh, training period for the for the last month or so. Um, obviously, I only see. Um, in terms of pictures and videos, what what you guys see on on socials, but I know that they, every it was so frustrating when during during COVID when every game you'd pull up with a hamstring issue. Um, that they, they used to bring him off at half time and just kind of bring him on the next game and just kept letting him happen, letting it happen. And then you just know that there's something something seriously wrong with with his hamstrings with a guy that young keep keep pulling up with the same injury. Um, I know every time that they keep trying to put him back into training that he keeps pulling up again. Um, haven't heard anything this time in terms of the last month. He's been doing bits and pieces of, of first team training. Um, but yeah, that's, Brighton aren't notoriously the greatest uh, side for being kind of for being with their clarity on injury issues. Um, they kind of tell you it's, it's a week and then end up six months later, they're still out. But um yeah, everyone hopes Tarek Lamptey's back. He's he, he was electric when he when he played for us, um, when he was fit, um, flying down that right, and it just brings a lot of balance to our side that we don't have at the moment. Um, you look at Gross, yeah, he's great, he creates a lot, but he can't defend for one. He doesn't got the pace, so if he gets beaten, that's that that's that done. Um, and yeah, I think Lamptey's just 
he can score, he can get in the box, he's direct. He's a uh, he's, he's completely different kettle of fish to anything else we have apart from Cucurella now. I think I speak for everybody where on here that I think with a fit, if you get Cucurella and Lamptey playing together and fit with that back three as intended, right? Like without Duncan Webster or someone hurt, you're probably looking at just having those two alone, which is mental really because they're wingbacks, they're not like they're strikers. But like I think having those two fit long term alone can probably turn three or four draws into wins alone. Like you're probably talking six to ten points gained simply by having those two fit long term. Like which is well, mental really. Absolutely. Like, you look at you look at games that Lamptey played um before he just like Newcastle to me just strings out completely just against Sam Maximam he absolutely had him on toast the whole game. And it's just like those kind of things, that's what Brighton lack at the moment. We don't have, even like the second half of last season, we got some more, some better performances and more points. But we don't have that direct man that can change a game within seconds. You look at, like you look at the teams around us, um, Newcastle, for instance, San Maximum, as I mentioned, even Southampton have players that can create a little bit better than than we than we have, um, in, without Lamptey and, and without Cucurella, the new guy. Um, but I think, yeah, they, they make a huge difference to, to what we're trying to do, especially, well, I think even more attacking-wise than, than defensively, um, if anything. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be one of those things for Lamptey that everyone prays for him to be back in, in the ne- in the coming coming weeks, but um, only time will tell. We we talked about the importance of that right and left wing-back position in Potter's scheme and how disappointing it was that last game where we started with Gross and and Modda as our right and left wing backs, which are you know pretty significantly out of position and not massively well suited to the role. And then there's this kind of surprise why we didn't then you know draw or win the game. We're so, like, well, <laughs> if you don't have the bodies to put there that can do a task, then this is what happens. And I think what you said with Cucurella is is that's what we're all hoping for because even the eyeball test and the stats in our first three games. We're so heavy on the right side in terms of where we pr- like push the ball up the field, and the left side kind of gets left out, you know, pun intended. Well, we've got sort of March, and then McAllister didn't get the ball hardly at all in in the times he played. And he was even taken off in the uh, half time against Everton. So you think part of this with Cucurella is trying to balance out that whole setup so we're not so right side dominant? Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I think we know Solly March is a, is a, is a top player. Um, he's, he's kind of grown into that left left wing back role, but yeah. he can play can play further up if if uh, I think he'd prefer to play further up. If I'm honest, um, but especially against Everton, Moda hasn't got a left foot, so it's, it seems ridiculous to have uh, a guy without a left foot playing at left wing back, trying to give width to the side because he, every time he got the ball, he came back, and then there was just Alan or Decore. Um, picking up the pieces and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, every time it went down Gross's side and Digne is one of the best left backs in, in the world I'd say he, um, PSG were after him earlier this window um, and yeah he's a quality player and against someone that lacks pace like Gross does all he needs to do is look at his feet and make sure he doesn't get beaten it's quite simple um, I know a lot of people fall for Gross's uh, Cruyff turns um, <laughs> but um, I can read it off the pitch I don't know how people still don't um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. it's it's a weird one. Um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Cucurella brings a lot of balance to that side. Um, you look at it, I'm surprised that, that Kobayonic was left was allowed to leave uh, before Cucurella was done. Um, of course, Cucurella only got his... Uh, they only paid his release clause um, after Kobayonic went. So it was, a, it was an interesting decision, but obviously they must have had it in their minds that they were going to pay, pay it. 
um, imagine if the medical failed or something like that, then they would have they would have uh, had a good good time with uh, no left backs for all season, which would have been great. But yeah, Cooker had a great time. Yeah, they were trying to seemingly what we heard, and maybe you can attest to whether this is true. They were trying to get the club to accept a bid with money paid over time, as opposed to just paying La Liga the release clause, um, and then finally sort of gave up at the end. It seemed like. Yeah, um, I think it was, it was trying to. I think from what I saw and what I what I've heard and um, is that Cucurella they wanted Cucurella from the start. That was their number one target left wing back. Um, they wanted to, as you say, pay in installments, pay pay like a, a smaller fee up front, and then kind of pay it throughout the next couple of years. I think that almost is a was a ploy in terms of to try and find that striker. To try and have that extra money to then use on, say, Nunez, if some, if say Benfica cut down their price, or they were able to work out a deal with with them, um, and then when it became apparent that they couldn't, then they had that money from Ben White. It was it's thirty million up front from Ben White, so they have thirty million now. Um, they can, they can, they just spent this the eighteen on, or fifteen on Cucurella, and then seven or so on on Simo and loaned him out. I think they've still got probably about. It's under ten, just over ten million to, uh, and then they've obviously got twenty million guaranteed from Ben White's deal. Um, so they probably have about another thirty million in the in the co- coffee, in the coffin at some point. And that's not even thinking about Mwepu, who uh, I think he just scored for Zambia, didn't he? Uh, this, yeah, this yeah, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's going to be a great player. You look how athletic he was. I was at Luton in preseason. I know it's only Luton, but yeah. The way he's finished that finished that off, um, his goal in the first half was outstanding and timed to run well, especially considering he uh, hadn't really been in and around the first team for long at that time. Um, another time when Ostergaard, we're playing a back four in that game and Ostergaard went running on a run. Uh, obviously, again, Mwepu only been there for, for a few weeks. Um, just sat in, sat in for Ostergaard centre off and something like, something like that for me is, is huge in terms of just tactical, tactical nows without kind of having to do anything with the ball. Um, he's going to be a good player. Just needs a little bit of time to settle coming from, yeah. from differently. I think he, uh, I think from the tweet I'd read from the Zambian national team, it sounds like he is intended to be their long-term captain, which if so, is huge for a player that young. I know that the majority of their squad coming through is like a new young generation, but I can only imagine what that's going to do for his mental like, mentality, you know, coming yeah, back to yeah. Albion. He's got that move to England. He's immediately been made like long-term captain of his national like nation for like, and he's like 22, 23. Like I can imagine that's going to be, uh, yeah. he's going to be absolutely loving life. So Le- leadership qualities as well. It's another thing why that Brighton like um, young players with leadership qualities. Obviously, it's what any any team likes, but um, to have that is is amazing. It makes the uh, Africa Cup of Nations a bit of a worry for us looking ahead to though. It we does. need Basuma and. It's a difficult one with Basuma. He hasn't really played too much with Mali in, in recent in recent years. So potentially that he might not go. I don't know how Mali acts. I don't think he's played in the last three seasons. So if uh, if he was to go, it'd be a kind of a bit of a left field call up. Um, I think it's more his choice than, than theirs. I think if if he if they wanted him, if he wanted if the yeah if the if the country wanted him to play, then. They'd have him, but he. I think he doesn't really want to play for them. But African Cup nations could do something different to him. Yeah, I think from a couple of the like reports I'd read, 
years ago under Hutton, I think that he had a bit of a falling out. Maybe his family even had a falling out with the with the Malian national team. There was something went on there a couple of years ago, and clearly it hasn't fixed itself yet because no, no. uh, he isn't getting called up. But I'm sure, like you said, like selfishly, that works for us. So we we get absolutely. To I'd love, would love to keep Basuma during during the. Uh, African Cup of Nations. That's the last thing you want him absolutely bossing an African Cup of Nations in the, in the January transfer window as well. Um, could we ask you about Basuma? It's obviously transfer related, but um, obviously a lot of chat going around about how we talked about this last time. How keeping Basuma w- was the the win of the transfer window more than anything else. In some ways, doesn't have a ton of time left on his contract. How how top of mind is is a new contract for him, and and how willing would he be to sign it? Yeah, it's a difficult one. They're um, they're both both parties are pretty just chilled on on how they are at the moment. They they have well, obviously we know Basuma's respect for Brighton and and the manager. Um, I think every Brighton fan would have Basuma sign a new eighty five year contract tomorrow. Um, but he's eighty six, hopefully. But yeah, 86, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but he'd um, but yeah, he's there's nothing in the pipeline at the moment. Um, hopefully, as a as a uh, the fan base and as a club, they they try and s- they realise that before January they sit down and and do some do some talks. Otherwise, it's going to be a, I think quite difficult to keep him. Um, especially if not January, then the following summer with one year left in his deal, you're not going to get too much money for him. Um, he's not he's not on Mbappe where people will start bidding 150 million to try and get him early. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year for Bissouma. Um, if he keeps performing the way he is, if I'm honest, I'm a Brighton fan. If I'm honest, he deserves to be playing Champions League football. He's too he's too good for for a lower league, for a lower top bottom kind of six seven team team. Um, I think Brighton, if they want to keep him, they need to improve their squad. Um, they need to kind of get up into that top ten and, and show him that that's what we we're all about. I think if if we were kind of com- competing a little bit more, then. He would he would stay because he as I say he loves the, he loves the city he loves the, loves the, his teammates he loves the club he loves the fans you see after every game he loves the fans um, but I think it's just yeah it's just about competing and him him wanting to play at the highest level possible yeah um, I was speaking to to a good friend of mine uh, beginning this window who who's kind of in on in on that kind of transfer stuff and he was telling me that Basuma was leaving this summer so I think it's a it's a big thing that. Um, Big thing that he, he stayed, and uh, hopefully we can cut time down. But it's going to be going to be an interesting. Like everyone's going to be holding their breath this year before before the next, especially the next summer, because as I say, well January as well, because a year and a half not too much difference to a year. Uh, if he's not looking to sign a contract by then, then we 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 need to try to weigh up whether we we cash in on him, uh, get twenty million or whatever we can for him at that point, or we or we take the extra year and uh, just let him go on a free the following. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes one year fee would not be fun with Basuma because, like you say, it probably would be more around that twenty million mark versus yeah. what you would hope to get. You have to imagine. Maybe this is wrong. You have to imagine that the Ben White money helped the club not not feel like they needed to cash in on Basuma this season. Absolutely, that's that is the big that is the big thing. They were never gonna let both of them go in the same window, um, especially. With the with the window with the season that it is with COVID and with everything like that, it's difficult to to buy players in to just have that kind of as I, as I mentioned earlier logistically to to sign loads of players is not the easiest thing. 
um, especially from overseas, which is where Brighton tend to do a lot of their business from. Um, but yeah, yeah, as soon as as soon as Ben White was done, it was uh, looking increasingly unlikely that Basuma was going to follow. Um, but for me, at the beginning of the beginning of the window, it was Basuma that was more likely to uh, to leave the club than Ben White. So it was it's obviously a transfer window takes take like takes its turns. But yeah, it's a uh, it's one that definitely we need to keep an eye on with Basuma. Hopefully, he signs a new deal. But I'm not holding my breath if I'm honest. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too much longer, Aiden. You've been uh, very generous with your time. Um, Greg, Adam, do you have any other questions, thoughts, feelings, concerns that you want to throw out there? Uh, no, just uh, a quick prediction on where we'll finish this season will be enough for me, Aiden. Mate. Yeah, I think probably I'm looking at 14th, 15th, what I think would uh, represent a good season. Um, I think we can get there. If, if it, as I said earlier, it depends completely on our attacking options. If Welbeck's out for a majority of the season... We're reliant on Mope and Connolly. I think we're looking more sixteenth, seventeenth. Um, but yeah, we we have to we have to hope that with the current with the current crop of squad and uh, with a fully fit Lamptey and Cucurella down that wing, we can we can kind of finish the top half of top ten. Yeah. My last question is a ten second one. How, were we ever properly in for Dan James, and was it close? N- not properly in. Um, they were. They obviously Potter. The Potter links with James is a. Uh, yeah. Is, uh, is always going to be uh, there or thereabouts. Potter loves Dan James. We know that. Um, as soon as as soon as they well, they 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 not, they they keep in touch um, with with him and his 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 team and Man United etc. But as soon as it was told that Leeds were going to spend that amount of money on him, then it's not, never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Was an outrageous sum of money, really. Well, it only goes to you. Kind of, you can only say, kind of, say that after he, if he if he scores twenty goals in the next season, then True. we're going to say it's a great bit of business. But yeah, I think I think he's, I think he's the Man United tax has come in coming big there. Awesome, cool, Aiden. We'll let you go. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and uh, take care mm-hmm. of yourself and. Good luck for the rest of the season with your with your work. Um, we'll be we'll be keeping an eye and we'll make sure to inundate you with messages in January. Um, so. <laughs> Cheers, lad. Thanks so much, sir. Cheers, no worries. Mate. Have a good one. Take appreciate it. See ya. Bye. Aiden Jaywood. Good lad. Good find, Adam. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> really nice guy. Um, and knows his stuff clearly. It's it's always nice to have that because we can we can talk as fans all we want about the transfer window, and he can answer and verify or unverify those things in like half a second. Like, no, nah, that was never happening. Or yes, that think about how nice it would have been for um to know Edward this whole way through. It's like, no, nah, we never even looked at him. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you said, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Because because <laughs> we we were we were told by like verified sources i think it's more of a case of okay who's verified and who's not at this point and and aiden's come clutch a number of times and it's nice to have him on and sort of have that conversation with them not only just in terms of what is he dealing with on a on a transfer deadline basis but also like how how he conducts himself and and how he he uses his contacts to be as good as he is so um yeah really good chat speaking of uh here is paul dorsey with stateside seagulls Hey, Paul, hey guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you. Hey, hey. Good afternoon. Well, where are you off to, Paul? You're driving around? I am 
I am currently in the parking lot of a vineyard. So. <laughs> wow. All right. Nice. Yep. Yep. Gonna He's do spending, this and then you're spending and then your Labor Day weekend well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's raining um, here, so that's why I'm not outside enjoying the the wine right now. But I thought you were based somewhere where it isn't very vineyard heavy. Are you on vacation, or is this just a? I am in Westminster, Maryland, right now, so it's about forty five minutes away from Baltimore. There's wine there. There is. Yeah. There is. <laughs> is it good? Oh, you can tell us afterwards, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> We've been here before. It's good, and then it doesn't really matter if it's good or not after a while. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. But after it you is tasted three of them. Yeah, they're all good. Exactly. It is yeah. good though. So, no, awesome. Thank you for coming on. Uh, of course. Thank you, you for having me. We won't me. keep you away from your wine for long. My goodness. <laughs> uh, feel guilty keeping you away every second now. Um, <laughs> Paul, you were you were one of my. I think you were my first guest ever on Together VHA. Was that? Oh yeah, yeah, three four I years ago. Yeah, and uh, Stateside Seagulls has obviously undergone quite the growth since then. Um, obviously aided by four seasons in the Premier League now five. Yeah, that'll and that, definitely helped. Yeah, that that huge global brand push and the Albion being very intentional about pushing global branding um, with mm-hmm. the signings they're making as well as the the stuff they're doing. Um, do you want to just talk us through how that growth has looked to you all over at Stateside Seagulls? Because I know, I mean, it was just you, right? Like to begin with, just starting out a little Twitter account and being like, "Yep, like this is it." Like, how's yeah, that? How exactly. has that evolved? It's been absolutely wild. So I know that you know you guys have probably been there since the beginning or at least very close to the beginning so it started you know as really just me behind a twitter account tweeting out whatever hot takes i had about brighton with an american accent and you know before the promotion happened we had 75 followers not very big just kind of hanging out people chatting on twitter and in the past five seasons now we're we're up to 1400 followers we have an actual website with a membership link. We have an Instagram. We have meetups in different cities across the country, so not just New York. I mean, we have the Brighton Bard in Tulsa. I never would have imagined we would have a Tulsa person as a Brighton fan. Um, You know, Chicago, obviously, Craig, Adam in New Jersey, Josh in Charlotte. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see how big it's become, not just in the big cities, but across the country, and especially having, hopefully coming out of the pandemic, obviously Delta variant and everything aside, as we can get more watch parties going and more people into pubs and into, you know, just getting an actual community going, not just through social media, but actually in person. Uh, um, It's destined to be massive, especially if we can keep the hot streak going in the Premier League. Um. Paul, uh, we, we, you obviously, when you first came back on the first episode together, BHA, I'm sure you guys talked a lot about this, but for, for the listeners that didn't tune into that first episode, mm-hmm. why, on earth, why on earth did you become a Brighton fan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I ask myself every day. Uh, <laughs> I honestly, I can't remember the exact reason why I started to just casually follow Brighton. You know, it was just, it was definitely one of those, I don't want to be a top six fan. I want to find something else. And I just kind of casually started following Brighton, probably because of, you know, seeing them on FIFA and playing a game or you know, something like that. Um, but really that it was that 23rd, 
2003, yeah, 2013 playoff semifinal. We won't talk about how that went, but that was the moment that really catalyzed for me. That that was the moment where I was like, I'm not just going to casually follow this team. This is I'm in the community now. The fans, you know, I would just kind of you know, again have those hot takes on Twitter, and people would actually like respond to me and ask me why I'm following Brighton. I'm in the U.S. They don't know anybody other than in Sussex that knows about Brighton. And I had an emotional connection to a team I had never even watched before. I hadn't seen anybody in a Brighton shirt. And, you know, in that, that loss against Palace, I, I broke down. I was mad. And I was like, this is, this, this is my team now. Like, I got mad about a team I've never seen. It's 4,000 miles away. This is, uh, this is me now. So, and it's just, you know, it's just been, it's been that plus now actually being able to watch every weekend for the past five years. It's been, it's been wild, but yeah. I I think that's what a lot of, and just for the people that are listening outside of the U S a lot of people don't realize that in the U S we can watch any team every week. We can watch Mm -hmm. any game we want and it costs like five to $5 a month to be able to do that, which when you're in the UK, that sounds like, Oh, we're being screwed here. You are. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. great. So you, you truly can follow a team here, like even, you know, if you're not within the, you know, the parameters of the Amex to go every week, you can follow Brighton more efficiently here than you can in most places in England. Which is yeah. Crazy. I live two miles away from the Baltimore Orioles stadium and I can't watch any of their games and I can <laughs> watch probably a good every... thing. So, oh, oh no, trust me. <laughs> I am very happy about that. <laughs> but yeah, I can watch every Brighton game and I don't even have to pay because we have Xfinity um, internet and that Peacock comes with it. Crazy. So yeah, I pay nothing and I watch every Brighton game, which I'm so sorry, everybody in the UK. I really wish I could help you out. <laughs> yeah. If only there was some kind of virtual private networks that people yeah, in the UK you know, could use. If only, I'm not, if I'm only not, a technology way. Whiz. I'm mm. not a technology whiz, but you know. Would never recommend anything like that. Never. <laughs> no, we hear it together. BHA do not endorse. No. Very straight laced here. You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't download a car. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, could you imagine though? I absolutely would. Like you could download a car. I'd download a yeah. car in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's <laughs> a stupid question from the first place, wasn't it? <laughs> um, Paul, I know you talked about the making it so that you, you know, in-person watch parties, building out, obviously building out the fan base in the U S is important. It's mutually beneficial to the club. Like everyone wants to see that. I think also it's probably a surprise for a lot of the people in the UK to see someone so passionate that's built something with lots of fans in the U S who otherwise, you know, for the most part, the U S is absolutely not a soccer first nation by any means, but there are some really ardent Brighton fans here. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, what do you what, what do you want to do with stateside? Where do where do you see it going in the in the next few years in terms of um, an evolution of the group? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I think that the as I you know I said before, the watch parties and and having those in person connections are really going to be helpful. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when they had the Premier League live viewing parties with you know all the different teams and and representation over here that was really awesome to see because it wasn't just on social media you people had brighton stuff on that i didn't even know about and i would meet them in dc or in boston and it was like i didn't even know you existed and that's how i felt when i was starting out as a brighton fan so having that 
push to not just be on social media, but to actually have those communities, that's really going to be important for us. And I think that having the connection that we have with the club, I mean, it's, it's really nice knowing how passionate the club is about being a part of our relationship with the fans here, because I mean, there's a whole host of fans here that want to be part of the Brighton community are actively trying to be part of the Brighton community. And, you know, a lot of teams might just push it aside as, you know, you're a customer, you'll buy a Jersey, but Brighton has really brought us in and connected with us, helped us out and tried to make us as much a part of the community as we possibly can, even if we're not in Sussex. And that's really been helpful in really just making my life easier as, you know, kind of the guy behind the Stateside Seagulls moniker is just having that connection with the club, knowing that it's not just us doing our own thing here. It's having that connection with the club and knowing that we have the support to build it as much as we can and, and have that mutually beneficial connection where, you know, we want to support the club and they want to support us. And this is, I guess this is less of a question and more to just build upon on that. And I think I'll speak for Josh and Adam at the same time in terms of for those expats that, you know, have been in the UK and have supported Brighton from a, a certain age or, you know, a, a certain way. Um, it, it's so nice just to, you know, moving for work and being in a different country with a different culture and then still having that camaraderie and having a, a group that we can talk to and we can talk about our passion for football and, and the club in terms of what we've done. So it, it's also building something from within, you know, from, you know, from what you've done, Paul, and building this out, but also being able to uh, connect with us expats as well, who might be mm -hmm. feeling a little bit disenfranchised or a bit disconnected from, from what we usually inherit you know, living in Brighton and, and supporting them. So supporting from afar and having this community as well for us um, is also so great. And, you know, that's why I'm so appreciative of it. And I know Josh and Adam are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely just about making sure that, you know, expats have that community over here. You know, obviously moving to another country is, I can't even imagine, but nerve wracking to begin with. And then, you know, having that community that you can come to and, you know, you might not be in the UK, but you have a Brighton community here. It's really important for me to keep that connection for you guys. And then also for, you know, the American fans, bridging that connection between, you know, we just support a team to we actually care about the team and the community because it's so important to the history of the club and to everybody that is behind the club. You were saying the relationship you have with the club already. What is it? I'm, I'm assuming your long-term goal is to have some kind of official affiliation with the club in terms of like being recognized as the, the state-sized Seagulls, you know, like official fan groups. I know that mm -hmm. Seagulls Down Under is, the, in fact, that's pretty much the only one I know of. Uh, that was a long time ago that they kind of uh, officially kind of recognized as that kind of supporters group down in Australia. Um, do you know, do you have any idea what kind of hoops you're going to have to jump through or like what, what things you're going to have to go through to be able to be officially kind of recognized or, or with your communication already with the club, are you kind of already there? So, yeah, we've had just some initial talks and obviously the pandemic has changed all of that. And the constant, are we going to go down or not has been difficult to navigate, you know, long-term plans necessarily with, you know, supporters clubs, especially if it's, you know, going to be you know, we're going down and then we may lose followers, you know, who knows. So 
I'm sure that that's played a part in the official status not happening quite yet, but we have had conversations with the club. We have good relationships with the Albion, with Albion in the community, with, you know, everybody really associated with the club. So we've had, you know, those, you know, kind of initial conversations, nothing ironed out quite yet, but, you know, we're definitely open to having that become, you know, us become the, the official supporters club in the U.S. if that would ever happen and really just be that badge here in the U.S. for Brighton and Hope Albion. The uh, one thing I will quickly say just about, I guess, uh, the fan base, and this is the same at any football club, but it's very apparent with Brighton. Uh, there's this sort of, there's two parts of the fan base in some ways. There's there's the people that basically consider you can't be a fan unless you were sort of at the Goldstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other group that are a little bit more, let's say, modern, maybe is one way of putting it. Um, I, I kind of want to, I want to say quickly in, in the defence, you being a fan of Brighton, Brighton doesn't have a brand here. Like the, mm-hmm. the, It's not like Man United uh, and uh, Liverpool and Arsenal, especially, that they have these global or Americanized brands here. Like being in the US, like we see the clubs, the people that wear the shirts that are football fans, you see the same three or four different teams, um, the ones that have that established marketing presence here. Brighton does not have that. So for, for Paul and the rest of the US-based stateside seagulls to, to basically pick up Brighton as a, as a to, to be their club there's no glory hunting here like there's there's, there's no like it, this this is people that have picked out a club to be passionate about and support so i'd say that it's easy for certain fan groups to be like oh you know these people in america they can't be real fans because they weren't at x y and z at a certain date well abs- i would say on the other side of things you absolutely can be because the fact that you've gone out of left field and you've you've backed a club that for otherwise you have no reason to and i think that's commendable yeah, I always, I, I always love those comments. And it's not, I understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, I mean, just from the very low level of it, I couldn't buy a Brighton jersey here, for for instance. I couldn't <laughs> right. find one, even if I wanted to. I have to go out of my way to get it from the it's club. It's hard to be a fan. It's hard to, to get there and then to stick with it. I mean, obviously there will be people who will come and go if we go down and whatnot. And I get that because it's harder to watch and all that. But to even take that initial leap and become a Brighton fan, especially if you became a fan in the championship days, like I did, I mean, that was hard enough as it was. But even in the Premier League, it's not an easy task. Because, again, even though we're, you can watch them, us every weekend, nobody talks about us. We've been in the Premier League five years. We still barely get coverage. We get the games, and that's about it. So you have to try to be a Brighton fan yeah and it's you know it's just it's really that's why it's so important for me to have that connection with with the community in in Brighton too because I don't want it to just be that we're just kind of watching a team like Manchester United we're just watching a team and you know who cares if they win okay great if they lose whatever I don't care about the community I just care about the team that's not what I want this to be and that's not what Stateside Seagulls is we have that connection with the community because that has been important in our growth and important in, you know, people coming over here and, you know, asking where to watch a game. And that's just really important to, to me, especially into the group as a whole. It's just, you know, having that connection and making sure that people are aware that this is not something that you can just kind of 
you know, half-ass. It's it's you're in yeah. or you're out. And it's quite funny, isn't it? Because Brighton definitely have an identity back home, and that is of a community-based club. And I think, mm-hmm. obviously, ironically, the Goldstone days is what drew that that community to be so hardcore in terms of what that branding is. And, and it helps that Bloom is obviously a fan guy because he lived through it with everybody else. And it's funny to because, Adam, you're right, it's generally a specific crowd that are that way. You know, you can't be a Brighton fan if you're an American or, you know, a Japanese person or a Korean. Like, you can't be a Brighton fan if you weren't at the Goldstone, whatever it is. And it's funny because the stateside seagulls and what you're talking about is very much the heartbeat of what Brighton is back home. So it's even Mm -hmm. funnier that, like, you're mirroring their values Mm -hmm. and, like, without even intending to, really, which says that although the Albion doesn't have a brand, because you're trying and you're working and understanding what the club is, it just naturally flows through you anyway, right? Like, it's it's not so much that kind of... And there are plenty of teams with no disrespect to them that are smaller clubs in the Premier League that don't have that community. They they Mm. just don't. Like, they have their own, but, like, it's not that community-based, you know, like, that deeper, deeper connection with people, so... It's interesting to see that you're basically mirroring what they they founded in the first place and some people yeah. still don't like it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I totally understand the supporting a team from afar and kind of just watching the games and not actually being part of the community. I am a Saints fan. And I have been... To, to clarify, you mean the I, New, New Orleans, Orleans Saints. New Orleans, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you just... A, a bunch of people I, just had a connection. Everybody in, everybody yeah. in the UK was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. I've never been to Louisiana. I watch the games and that's about it. So I'm kind of like the Manchester United fan for the NFL. But for Brighton, it's, it's almost like the Orioles for me. It, it feels like my hometown team. And... That's just because the community has just always been behind me, always supported me in, in being a fan. And then, you know, obviously, as Stateside Seagulls has grown, building that over here, it's just, it's felt like, and I, I, that's what I want it to be for everybody who comes on board with Stateside Seagulls, is for it to be like their hometown club, even if they're from here. Paul, um, quickly, just on, on the status of the club, the situation what were your thoughts on the transfer window? How do you think the season's going to play out? I, this may be, I don't know, this may not go over well. Uh, I thought that the transfer window was okay. It was fine. Mm-hmm. I would have liked the striker, but I'm not heartbroken over it. Um, I think that last season showed that I don't want to go too far, but it can't get that much worse than last season in terms <laughs> of not being able to score. So, and Mope, thank God he wasn't hurt too bad. Looks like he can play. He's scored two goals already. Danny Welbeck maybe hopefully comes back at some point soon. He can score goals. Um, was kind of shocked to see so many players leave on loan or just in general. Obviously getting the wage bill down is huge, but was kind of shocked to see Zakiri leave, especially mm-hmm. just to have that extra depth going forward. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I like Mwepu coming in. That's a really good addition. Um, you know, having Sima come in, just you know, obviously he's going about back on out on loan, but having you know more of an idea of forward options going forward. Um, you know, I thought that 
you know, I, I think that the meltdown on Twitter on transfer window day was a little, a little harsh. I thought that it was fine. I, it could have been better, but it wasn't as bad as everybody was making it out to be. Yeah. You would, your thought about Zakiri, you, you know, maybe you wouldn't have wanted to see him go out alone. We just had Aiden J Wood on, uh, who was covering a lot of the transfer window. Um, and is a big Brighton fan. And he said the same thing. He's like, I was surprised Connolly didn't go out on loan and we didn't keep yeah. Andy Zakiri, mm-hmm. which is, um, I wonder, I'd be interested to see what the Brighton fan base would think about that as a general question. Um, Maybe it has to do more because he hasn't really been playing in a forward role recently. It's like, I think he played, was against Cardiff. But other than that, I mean, Potter always moves people around. So it's hard to tell where anybody's going to start on a given day. But maybe that's part of it. I really don't know. But it definitely is shocking that Zakiri left on loan and Connolly stayed. But there's a plan, I guess. So we'll see. Yeah. We hope. No, no, there's definitely a plan. They're too, uh, they, they, they sometimes, I feel sometimes they look too far into the long term plan mm-hmm. than the short mm-hmm. one. So they definitely have some long term plans in motion. Um, thank you for coming on, Paul. Uh, I suppose now as good a time as any to to talk about the kind of the partnership that we're throwing up as well uh, yes. with Stateside Seagulls and Together BAJ. Uh, Paul, you ever wanted to start a podcast? I have thought about it. I've kicked the, the can down the road quite a while, but <laughs> it's it, I'll, I'll leave it to the professionals. <laughs> <laughs> That's a break. Who, who are they? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to say anything either, Paul, but uh, we've been talking behind the scenes uh, and, and the decision has come together. A good one, one that I'm very happy with. I'm sure that most of us are, I hope, uh, that together BHA and stateside seagulls are kind of uh, officially kind of affiliated in terms of the the podcast of stateside seagulls and and the, the spot to be uh, and together BHA is likewise the the spot for uh, if you ever need anything for from stateside seagulls we can we can kind of boost your boost your questions about going to a New York bar or a Baltimore bar or something like that uh, and you know any guests that want to come on, uh, if you're listening in the US, uh, you know, stateside seagulls, you you have a fast track to the front. Uh, any kind of deals, events, get-togethers, parties uh, that, that Paul was just talking about, we will be we will be talking about those to kick off pretty much every podcast. Uh, so if you want to keep up with any of that stuff, uh, this is the spot to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to say that yeah i completely agree with all that i've been an avid listener of together bha since the very beginning obviously i was on the first episode i honestly forgot about that so (laughs) well i didn't forget that i was on the pod but i forgot i was the first guest so um but yeah i i listen all the time and you know having you three guys in the states too it's that's really that's really cool for me especially you know being stateside seagulls and having that connection with with you guys it's it's really nice to see that it's kind of all coming to fruition and yeah, I'm really excited to see what the connection is going to be like going forward. And hopefully this connection goes as well as I hope Brighton does this season. So (laughs) (laughs) the XG in this partnership is going to, is going to be through the roof. Let's see if we can actually put the goals in though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
you, you, you guys also need to get some of that merch back. Stateside Seagulls, if you don't know, do awesome scarves. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, where I need to get some of those in the winters in the in New Jersey area, New York area, especially where Craig is in Chicago, are not great for for the people in the UK. No, no, um, they're they're bad. They're rough. I've never been to Chicago, but I've heard stories. I went to college in Missouri, so. It's, 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 it's chilly. It's hectic. It's hectic. Yeah. <laughs> chilly is not the way one describes the well, well, Yeah, I mean, Paul sorted me out with a, a nice sweatshirt with state size seagulls on the front as well. So uh, I'll start wearing that to these pods as well. So go. I've got that. I'll, I'll grab a scarf. I'll probably need two or three, but uh, that's, that's only a good thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, Josh I, is I, down I, here I in tropical over. Charlotte. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like sometimes uh, it's... It's not a good thing sometimes. Um, we're just starting to get cooler nights, and like it's just a lot. Like it's the humidity down here that makes it five times worse. Yeah. Although I did go to Chicago in January uh, a couple of years ago, and that wasn't much yeah. more optimal. I, I do have to say, the only two times I've been to Brighton were in January, and that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was a mistake. <laughs> Paul, we don't want to hold you off any longer. I'm sure you're gagging for some wine. So yes. uh, <laughs> enjoy enjoy your Sunday afternoon Thank uh, you. and and have plenty uh, on us. Um, enjoy yourself and and you've got a you've got a nice sleep in tomorrow because we're yep. a lot. Yep. Yeah. Enjoy right. that famous Maryland wine. <laughs> <laughs> I I will make sure to do that. <laughs> Just Paul. Awesome. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me, guys. Paul Dorsey, stateside seagulls. What a guy. What a guy. There you go. It's a hell of a thing to be that make yourself a Brighton fan in sort of pit of misery playoff loss and then create a supporters group in a country that for the most part doesn't care about football. That is a hell of an achievement. So kudos to him. It really is. It, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of, lot of effort over yeah. here, um, especially when he was in the championship. Episode 15 uh, was the first was the episode we had stateside sequels on the first guest of the show. Uh, he also shares his first game he went to has been over, and uh, if I recall correctly, it was Blackburn Rovers away on Ooh. in January. Um, so yeah, that was it's definitely worth listening to just for that sadness in his voice. Blackburn Rovers Blackburn away. away. Why would anyone do that to themselves? <laughs> Especially coming over from the US. Like, oh, where did you go in England? Did you go to London? Did you see the Tower of London? Did you see the mm. like the, the like the jewels? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you go to Stonehenge? And I went Blackburn. I went I <laughs> to Blackburn away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's commitment. That is commitment right there. Really is. Uh fellas, have you got anything else to add? No, no, I don't have anything else. Um, yeah, it was good to catch up, obviously, with, with Aiden and, and Paul. So, really good. Yeah, good from my side. Awesome. Brentford away next weekend. Uh, I think we're probably all hoping for three points, right? At worst, a point. Score predictions before we bounce? <sighs> I'm going I'm gonna to go for... Oh, the optimist in me thinks that we can get three points here, but they're they're on the rise. They've started really well. I'll go for a one-all draw. We'll we'll get that. Um, you, we we've still. I don't think Lamptey's going to be back. Um, I don't think we have a, a right wing back there, and I think it'll be gross again. Um, they've got a little bit of a boy as well. Um, second ever game in the Premier League at home. Um, I think the novelty's still going to be there, but uh, hopefully we can grab a one-all draw or sneak the win. 
I'm going to randomly go for for two two. Don't ask me how I got to that, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> I'm going to go with one nil to us. I think we uh, they've only scored three all season, so they're not bagging loads. Although they do have a really good defense, they are. They've only conceded one all season, but they also did play some very easy games. Arsenal, Palace, players like that. So it's a bit. I like that Arsenal just considered easy. Get it's just easy now. <laughs> even even with oh, out yeah. taking the piss, like they really didn't have Lacazette or Aubameyang, so like they really were yeah, like, actually super easy. weak up front. Yeah, mm. um, defensively they were hilarious, but like up top, I, it's less it's less funny because they had nothing. Um, yeah, I'm going to say one nil to us. All right, fellas, enjoy your week, enjoy your long weekend. I know I will, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll speak again next weekend. Cheers, boys. Thanks, guys. Right. Speak later. Bye.